Welcome back, everybody. My name is Corey Martin. Thanks for joining us here on The Innovator, The Imitator, and The Idiot. Like I said, my name is Corey Martin with Bank of England Mortgage here in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Kyle Wong with Moxie, Colorado. Yeah, we've got a great topic set up for you guys here today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about real estate investments. Yeah. Uh, and investing into real estate. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? Do you see what I did there? Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think that when we're talking about uh, investing in real estate, you know, the first thing that we want to frame is like, what is an investment property? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, that's the first question that we want to ask. And so, you know, when you're looking to purchase a real estate transaction, you're generally doing it one of three ways. You're either purchasing your primary residence, right? That's sounds pretty obvious. That's, that's where you're going to live. Right. Um, Which some people forget that that is an investment, but that's a huge investment and absolutely. it's a very important one. In I, fact, we talked about this a couple times, but mm-hmm. I think, was it, I always forget, 80% of millionaires, 90% of millionaires uh, began building their wealth by purchasing their primary residence. So, yeah, 1,000%, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, for your primary home, while it's not an investment property, it is an investment for your uh, for your wealth for your real estate portfolio, yep. as it's going to uh, no matter what going to continue to appreciate um, in value, and from there, you know, you got more money than when you started with. That's true. Uh, the second uh, type of or the second way that you can purchase a home would be to purchase a second home. So a second home is technically any home that you occupy that is not your primary home. Yep. So there actually isn't like a uh, isn't like a qualification on how many days you occupy that home. Um, granted, there is some some qualifications or qualifiers on uh, for specific loan types. Yep. But just for this basic to be considered a second prop or yeah a second home, um, there is no like you know basic requirement as far as how many days or nights you occupy that home. Just as long as you occupy it at some point. Throughout the year. Yeah. And sometimes it's called a um, vacation home or some right. people have third homes, fourth homes, the right. lake house, the beach house. Yeah. You know. I got all of that. I got right. all of that. I got the big house too. There you um, go. <laughs> invite me over. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But like, yeah. So these are, yeah. Like you said, your lake houses, your vacation homes, uh, the cabin that you have yeah. uh, up in the mountains, these would all qualify, you know, the cabin that you share with your family. Right. Um, you know, I know that there are some families there's where like the matriarch, you know, the grandparents or, um, or someone built a, a cabin like, you know, a hundred years ago and it's been, you know, passed down throughout the family, um, that will qualify as a second home. And then there is an investment property, uh, an investment home. And what that is, is that's a property that you're purchasing with the intent to generate revenue from it, to generate income from it. Yeah. Uh, now that could be a short term, right? So that's Airbnb, uh, or it could be, um, any sort of corporate housing, right? You know, folks coming into town for a conference or something for a week, that's still considered short-term rental. Yep. Uh, or it could be long-term rental, right? So you sign, you know, you purchase a home and a month later you have somebody sign a lease for a month. Oh, I'm sorry, for a year. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, a month is long-term. Um, a year is even longer term, though. Uh, that would be considered a long-term rental. So, um, 
you know, that would be an investment property. Again, the idea here is that, you know, you're purchasing this to generate income. Yeah. All different uh, requirements as far as, uh, you know, what you need to do to qualify for a loan versus uh, for a second home versus an investment property versus a primary property. Um, different down payment requirements, different, yeah. uh, you know, for generally, you know, investment properties, you're looking at at least. 10, 15, closer to 20, 25% for an investment property. Yep. Um, you know, different requirements as far as credit score goes, uh, reserves for investment properties. You know, they'd like to see generally, hey, look, we want to see you've got 12 months worth of your mortgage payments to uh, to qualify for an investment property. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas that may not always be the case for your primary home. Yeah. That's true because banks kind of want to know. They're like, with primary residences, we don't. We just want you to be able to get into the home affordably. But with investment properties, they're like, okay, they've got enough money to purchase another home. Um, so we're going to up the ante a little bit. Make sure they got more skin in the game just in case they default. Yeah, um, there's more risk there, right? Yeah. Because as a, uh, you know, as a consumer, if you fall on hard times. Um, you know, the first place you're going to start looking to cut bills would be your investment property, yep. right? You know, so they want to make sure that if you do fall on hard times, you've you've got you know the funds available to get you through. Yeah. Um, wow, I just I don't have much, man. You're just spitting it off one after the other. You got it. You can do this by yourself. In fact, I'm just going to go get go grab lunch. All right, well, cool, man. <laughs> hey, would you uh, mind making me a sandwich? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If you got this, man, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like you were saying, there's a. So we went through what the investment is, uh, different types of investments. So like your primary residence, your second home, your vacation home, or you know a straight up investment property. Um, and then to elaborate on that a little bit more, um, everybody talks about like I'm a real estate investor. Like, what's your real estate portfolio look like and stuff like that. Um, and it's a very broad term real estate investing uh, because oftentimes you're like great I'm an investor okay so what are you looking for are you looking for a fix and flip are you looking for a buy and hold are you looking to just cash flow on a house month over month or is this something that you can wait for appreciation to build up in um, you know things like that because you know not everybody's looking for the same thing right, right? because if you want to retire off of properties you're probably not going to want to put a ton of money into a house and then just wait for it to appreciate, like you're going to want to cash flow now, right? Well, and what kind of real estate investment is that that you just described? So for example, if you buy a house up in the mountains mm -hmm. or in a very popular area such as Denver and you rent it out short term, right? So, so this is somewhere people come as like a destination. They come rent it for a week, rent it for two weeks. Um, that can cash flow you if you do the numbers right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you got to put a little bit of money, you have to tie up a little bit of money at first for your mm -hmm. investment, um, but month over month, are you getting cash back out of that? Or for example, if you purchase a big house up in Breckenridge and you're like, look, I'm not going to be cash flowing on this. And when I say cash flow, it just means, you know, it's short for positive cash flow when you're getting more money than you're putting into it. And is that, would that be considered a buy and hold, a fix and flip or so, what kind of real estate investment would that be considered where you're purchasing a home and then you're renting it out to someone and the rent that you're receiving back is greater than the mortgage payment that you have, you have more cash coming 
coming in than you have going out. Yeah. So technically it's a rental property. Um, mm -hmm. And so you are, I, I kept saying buy and hold, but usually what people do is they buy a rental property and they hold it. Yep. So they actually kind of, it's like a double, you know, it's a double win there. Yep, absolutely. So yeah. So what happens is, you know, you can purchase a property, uh, you put a little bit of money into it, fix it up, you rent it out. Or if you do long-term rentals, right? So anything I believe over three months is considered over 90 days is considered long-term renting. Um, you know, you get a tenant in there for a year, two years. Um, it's nice because it's more consistent, even if you may not make quite as much money, right? right? So for example, if you get a house up in Brackenridge and people, it's just constantly booked out October, November, December, January, but then summer comes around and they're like, ah, you know, cause it's more of like a ski spot, right? right? right. Amazing during the summer, but it's more of like a destination place that's seasonal. Yeah. Um, whereas your one year lease is a lot more consistent, even if you're not making quite as much off the top. Right. So during, but I think what you're saying is that like maybe during from, you know, November through March, it's ski season. Uh, yeah. We're going to have, we're going to have that, that, that uh, house in Breckenridge is going to be booked every single week. Yeah. Right? For a lot of money too. For a lot more, for right. a lot more money because the market gener you know, says that you can charge a lot more money uh, for your home in Breckenridge in January uh, than you could in June, for example. Right, absolutely. And so what's happened is you are able to charge more and you're more booked throughout the winter months. So you have higher cash flow than you would throughout the summer months. Um, and, you know, and in that scenario, hey, look, you're, you have higher cash flow. Uh, or you could do a longer term rental where you may not necessarily have your property um, booked at a higher rate throughout this portion mm -hmm. of the year, but mm -hmm. you're more consistent. So instead of doing this, throughout the year right you do this <laughs> right so it makes it easier on the books and plus um, there are a lot of there's just a lot of complexities and a lot of costs and things involved that you want to be aware of that's why it's super important if you're gonna get into real estate investing um, consult a professional you know have a talk with an agent specifically somebody that has experience in rentals or property management or whatever type of investing it is that you're looking to get into make sure to talk to somebody that knows about that specifically um, because I was gonna say what was I gonna say I think you were gonna say that um the risk or the the appetite for oh. the risk associated yes. with each real estate investment varies and yes. you for some part some people they could get into a situation where they have an appetite for much smaller risk mm -hmm. uh, but they are their the, the real estate investment that they made it actually has a lot more risk right. associated with yeah. it and they may not necessarily that just may not fit their investment yeah style. it's kind of like the uh, iceberg effect where like you what you see is not what you get at the surface like there's a lot more to it so for example um, getting into a house as a pure investment property like a short-term rental mm -hmm. You go up to the mountains, you just, you go and buy a house and you don't do a lot of research and you say, well, cool, I'm just going to Airbnb it like everybody else. Let's, I, I keep using Breckenridge a lot as an example, but let's just say Breckenridge, right? You want to Airbnb it, it's a cool spot, it's right at the base of the mountain, whatever. Um, you have to check HOAs, covenants, like how much does it actually cost me uh, and can I even do that? Because yeah. Breckenridge, for example, has some of the most strict short-term rental 
policies, uh, probably in the world. Well, yeah. I don't know if in the world, but in the country for sure. Um, and so other neighborhoods also do the same. Yeah. Right. Because they want to promote people that live there. And of course, like houses just have more wear and tear when there are more people in it more frequently. Yeah. Right. Like you're probably not going to take as good a care of like the cabin you rented for two days than you are your own house. Right. You know what I mean? So usually the usually um, the shorter term rental it is, the more maintenance and stuff that it requires just right. because the frequency of people in and out. And so they just, they usually the cost to operate that kind of investment is right. a little bit higher, right? right? Because for example, Airbnb, you want clean sheets in there every single time you have a new person in there, right? Yeah. So that's a cleaning fee that has to be added. Whereas a long term, uh, you know, you're paying for AC and furnace and all that stuff, but you're not paying for cleaning fees every single, every single like week or so, you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. So, so in that short term rental situation, it sounds like there's more risk there because yeah. there's more operating costs and right. there's the uh, added part of um, you know booking right you know what I mean yep. so operating cost and then just getting the the property booked that's a little bit more risk whereas mm -hmm. if you are doing um, a long-term rental not as much risk you've got a tenant in there and sure. your operating costs uh, are just just aren't the same as they would for a, um, a short-term rental. What about uh, fix and flips? So fix and flips are interesting because people like to go about it a little bit differently. Sometimes they do like, they wanna get it off their hands as soon as possible and other people wanna hold it just a little bit to kind of see where the market goes. Um, but typically- what, what is a fix and flip? Like what's the, like for me, so like I actually um, have spent the last 33 years of my life underneath uh, a rock right outside um, and so like I don't even know what a fix so if like, you're just like absolutely new you've never heard of like real estate investing or anything a fix and flip at its core is when you purchase a real estate property for a low price usually due to like an issue or a cosmetic something okay. whatever that you can fix up pretty cheap and then you flip it sell it for profit ah. is essentially what that is and so that's getting very difficult that's getting increasingly difficult these days because of the access to information and good vendors um but yeah as an investor you look for a property that you're like that's really undervalued right compared to the market compared to the houses around it uh this seems like it's pretty undervalued you look into it you see what needs to be done because undervalued there's always a reason right so yep. why isn't it selling you know is there is it something very serious like a foundation or like a roof issue mm -hmm. or or is it just like people don't like the paint, right? <laughs> Usually it's not the latter um, or else it's not going to be that cheap. But, um, you know, maybe it was a REO. It was a, a bank-owned property yep. or a foreclosed property. Uh, sometimes that can be a really good investment. Those are just super hard to find. Yeah. Right? So yeah. at its core, fix and flips are when you buy a house cheap, you do something to it, and you sell it for more. What's the risk factor like on a fix and flip? Is that something that's more Ooh. like comparative to, um, I'm sorry, like I'm actually like just peppering you. No, no, no. This is good. Like, uh, but, you know, the, compared to like a short-term rental where there's quite a bit of risk, um, what's the, the risk associated with the fix, fix and flip? Because it's subject yeah. to a few things that you just can't control, right? Right. I would say quite a few things. So, I mean, A, you're buying it. You're buying a property, right? That's a, that's a huge, that's a lot of money. Like you're putting your name to that. And I would say it just to answer clearly, plainly, it's high. Right. <laughs> so if you get a short term rental and like the furnace goes out, um, 
like that sucks, but you can deal with that pretty easily. With a fix and flip, man, if a furnace goes out or there's more damage than you expected, or let's just say the contracting costs have gone up, you got to fix something that right. ends up being more expensive than you planned. The, the, the issue with that is you write a plan before everything happens, but not everything is going to happen according to, to the way that you initially planned. Right. Um, and then there's obviously the selling process, right? <laughs> the whole point is to make money off of it. So if you don't sell it, that I mean, it ruins the whole thing. So it doesn't matter how cheap you got it fixed up or how cheap you paid for it. If you can't sell it, that's a big problem. Right. You know, I mean, thinking about folks who, you know, let's say you purchase a home for a hundred grand and yeah. then you say, this is going to cost me a hundred grand to, to fix up, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some structural issues and, you know, et cetera. Maybe you got to yeah. change, you know, a few things on there. So it's going to cost me a hundred grand to fix up. So now I'm 200 in the hole, but I think, I think I can sell this for 300. Yeah. Right. Or I think I can sell this for 400. Right. Sure. So I'm going to spend 200 and then I'm going to get 200 back. Right. That's bad investment. But, you know, um, what you're saying though is that like if, and like a, I have to be able to sell that at 400. Right. And what if, what if it's all of a sudden the cost to rebuild it or to fix it up goes from 100 to 105? Yeah. That's a big deal. What if um, there is a global pandemic, an act of God, and yeah. all of a sudden real estate prices or real estate, the real estate industry just completely comes to a stop? Gosh, I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, man. Um, then I'm stuck now in the whole $200,000. dollars yeah. yep. And I've got to, and I've got to be comfortable with holding that investment. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's probably not a good idea for me to get into that. Yeah. There's a ton of risk um, and a lot of potential reward because like like we were saying about the short-term rentals, um, you know, it's it's a little bit, I would say, sure, there's a lot of risk, but comparatively, there's a little bit of risk and a little bit of reward because you're making cash, you're getting cash month over month, right. whereas with an investment such as a fix and flip, you can, like you said, you can be hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hole just in the house plus all of the costs to repair and fix and do all of that work which can be a ton. Um, and you're not, it's not like you have a tenant in there. You're not making money month over month. It's like either you sell it or you don't. It's like a yes or no, yeah. you know? So um, it can be a very big thing. I know people that do it very successfully and they do it at scale, meaning they do a lot of volume, which is awesome, but it takes a very keen eye. And, you know, you can, you, let's just say you made 50,000 profit off your first fix and flip. Man, you can lose it all in one deal. And right. In fact, um, Quick shout out, Mile High Property Brothers, Eli Schmidt. He uh, he was telling me about how he did that when he first got into real estate. He was you know doing fix and flips, and then ended up like a hundred thousand dollars in debt actually after a deal went sideways. And it's like, man, it's scary. Just like that, you can do it seven successful times, but on the last one, if you mess up, you're done. Yep, that's. Uh, it sounds like the margin for error is much smaller because your time yeah. frame with it because you your your the time that you spend. Uh, investing and, and throwing money at the property or throwing money at the investment uh, is extended a little bit. Yeah. Whereas, you know, on a short term rental, you'll probably know whether or not you're going to get those funds, get that investment back uh, pretty quickly. Right. Right. Um, you know, so the margin for error is a lot smaller when we're looking at uh, fix and flip. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it sounds like there's a, it's a great opportunity. I think it's tougher to find here in Denver. Uh, 
you know, one of the things that you need uh, for a, a fix and flip is an undervalued property. And, right, right. Um, in our market, it's tough to find those. Yeah. Um, that said, though, it could be, you know, maybe it's an opportunity for you to uh, look into some other markets and find some fix and flips. You know, I know there's yeah. a, a few people um, or I'm working with a few clients that are looking at properties in other states. And, you know, I also think that it's a great opportunity to uh, one cool thing about fix and flips is it's a great opportunity to um, increase the property value of whatever neighborhood you're 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 working in mm -hmm. now we're going down a different path because then we're talking about what could be gentrification <laughs> sure. right and there are definitely you know parties that we've got to keep in mind there when we're talking about gentrifying a neighborhood because uh, there's definitely some cons to that some pros but some yeah. cons to that as well um but um you know that's a that's a really really cool part of being able to uh, to flip a property is that like you know look if you you work I've seen it happen on my block in New Orleans like hmm. you know a bunch of houses that were destroyed by Katrina and over time people investors bought them fixed them and flipped them yeah and now we've got really beautiful houses yeah like beautiful homes on you know what I'm saying right and that is the nice side of it because you know you can also look at it from a different perspective of like just taking something that's not so nice and making it nice right so for example that is an extreme example that was you know very hard on a lot of people like you had homes that weren't even livable it's yeah. not like they were yeah. just rough they were no, they weren't livable. completely destroyed and that sucked or taking like very distressed properties for example i mean you can you know, rehabilitated houses, like if they were used as uh, meth labs or something like that, or mm -hmm. just they had a hoarder that took terrible care of the house, or, right. you know, like we said, just, it, it varies in scale. So like you can take a house that's completely destroyed and start there, or you can take a house that's like brand new. For example, in Castle Rock, there was a new condo development uh, where several people bought, didn't even live in them, literally just sold them within months. They didn't even do anything. Um, but some of them did. Some of them added like nicer countertops, nicer yeah. finishes, stuff like that, did floors. Um, and that's also a fix and flip. So it depends on your, your like you said, your risk level, first of all, and how much you really want to do, right? Yeah. Because if you go to Louisiana and you rehab a, uh, like a house that was affected by Katrina, and that's a whole rebuild just yeah. about. Yeah. Um, the only thing you don't have to do is grading. But, yeah, that's a full rebuild. But you go down to Castle Rock, you buy a house that's, like, super, super undervalued at, when they sold. And then you, you know, you sell within three months after doing nothing. Like, that's I, – I, I, it's a flip for sure. Maybe not so much fixed, <laughs> but it's a flip. Yep. <laughs> but – yeah, man. Yeah, that's it. You know, it really does come down to, um, you know, really what your like, what your appetite for risk is. Yeah, there are plenty and plenty. We haven't even gotten into the commercial aspect of things. Yeah, uh, which oh is you know, which is a whole nother like topic um, and, and opportunity for you. So, the reason why we talk about real estate investments and why we think it's, they're so valuable um, is because a, it sounds like an intimidating crazy weird process like oh only the the upper echelon of like investors real estate and in, in uh, of investors invest in real estate um and that's just not the case i mean buying a home is an investment as we talked about if you don't do anything else would highly recommend that yeah. um just for your money's sake yeah um but that being said you know big companies such as blackrock capstone we've talked about yeah. redfin and zillow they're like buyer programs um if these 
billion dollar corporations are buying up. Sorry, if you don't know, BlackRock and Capstone are um, hedge funds. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, they are. Hedge fund companies, and they are buying up residential, specifically single family residential homes. Mm-hmm. Where they, yeah. Um, and and you know, apartment complexes, but yeah, yeah, and this is a pretty popular. Those are the two of the biggest hedge funds, right? That, but like this, this is something that even smaller hedge funds are doing. Absolutely, and people are saying like it's scary and it's bad, and it certainly has done a lot of things to the market that may not be so positive for people that don't have millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. But that being the only reason we go to mention that is because if these billion dollar companies are investing in real estate. Maybe you should too. Right, right. Right. There's a reason why these big companies, these high net worth people are doing that. For example, Bill Gates, maybe for more nefarious reasons, is buying up like farmland everywhere. But we won't get into that. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so Redfin and Zillow had these programs where they're like, we'll buy your house. Unfortunately, they didn't do enough research and they lost billions of dollars just because they didn't know how to do it properly. Right. Um, but that's why, and that's funny because those are very big real estate companies, um, but that's just a niche that they weren't into. You know, yeah. They didn't do their research. And so long story short, what happened was they had this buyer's program where they're like, hey, we'll buy your house. And they were going to do on a massive scale, essentially, Flicks and flips because the market was so hot. They're like, we can buy these undervalued properties based off our proprietary software, and then we're going to sell them for a profit. So what happened was, oh, they bought them all right. They based off their software, which is why I always say, like, don't go off a estimate. Don't go yeah, off oh of God. like the, the <laughs> oh, oh, like my computer told me like this is the value. That's awesome, but you need somebody in there looking at the views, looking at the lot, like looking at the quality and condition of all the finishes in your house. That's why it takes a personal touch. Right. Um, so anyways, they, they bought a bunch of houses, uh, they sat on the market, they didn't sell, they either didn't sell or they uh, they reduced the price so much that they took such a huge huge loss. I think they lost like 80 billion. Yeah. Uh, Zillow, what was it, Zillow, Redfin? I think it was Zillow. Zillow in particular that lost $80 billion. So don't be that guy. Get in touch with a local professional that knows your market and knows how to crunch the numbers for a good investment. Absolutely. I think it's just like it's part of, you know, um, I don't want to call uh, call it like our social duty. Um, but I, mean, I, I, I do feel – I'll say this. If you feel that the real estate market in your area has gotten out of control um, and you are in a – like for the average American, right? If Mm -hmm. you feel like rent prices in your area are out of control for the average American. Which they kind of are. (laughs) Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, then buy a house and rent to a family yourself. Yeah. And the you, other thing is a person that sets that market yourself. Exactly. And the other thing I see people do all the time is they're like, well, I just can't like the market's crazy. Have you actually checked? Like, do you actually know? Right. I'm not saying that to like come down on anybody. I just want you to know, like, are you going based off facts and data or are you just reading articles online? You know, because there's a lot of fear tactics, man. And there's a lot of fake news in the media. And it sucks because we want people to be happy and successful and do a good job for themselves and their families. And so, yeah, one thing I see people do is, yeah, maybe the house is like on the upper end of their budget. Never recommend people ex- overextend themselves financially for mm-hmm. their house. Don't go house poor. It's the worst. Um, but 
they'll get a house with two or three bedrooms, maybe an extra bedroom that they don't need, and they'll rent it just room by room. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you got to be careful doing that too. Like you want to make sure that you've got good people in your house, but um, that's something you can do to offset the cost a little bit. Get yourself some roommates, like rent a family, do something. Absolutely. Just do something. You know, I think that um, at the end of the day, you know, what we're talking about here is uh, – being a part setting the market yourself yeah um, so many people like you said so many people um just listen to you know a lot of fear-mongering out there yeah. i think when we first started this podcast we said we were quoting ryan Serhant when he said uh the masses listen to the masses And so uh, what we want to do is we want to or what we're encouraging to do you to do is to not listen to the masses. Go and speak with a real estate professional in your market. Speak with multiple real estate professionals in your market. Do your own research. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, this has been the case for many of my clients uh, currently. They are able to qualify for um, and purchase more than what they thought they were. Their credit wasn't as bad as they thought it was. Yeah. And now they're able to get into an investment property or get into purchase a home or get into an investment property and to set themselves up to generate wealth and build wealth, um, you know, 30 years down the road yeah. uh, in a way that they weren't previously planned to or yeah. set up to do. And here's the thing, too. Like, even if you're not like even if you're not in a place financially, you don't have the money that you need to your credits not good enough to purchase a house. There are options like a now, you know. Right. Like, okay, here's what I need to do. I might need to be making some changes. That would always be wise. Right. We want you to be smart with your money. Good stewards. Um, But also, you know, we can figure something out. Yeah. Right, so there's rent to own programs. You've got amazing loan programs, DSCR um, programs. Just to just yeah. to kind of p- explain this, uh, this loan, what this loan program does is it allows you to purchase a home based off a of, purchase a home based off of the rental income that the home will generate. Mm-hmm. So we're not looking at you know all of your you know we got to make sure that you can like the. There's some reserve requirements there, right? Sure. There's some down payment requirements there, right? But the idea is that, like, look, if you can if you can generate rental income for the property, then you can buy the property. Yeah. So for some people, you know, thinking about like, oh man, a duplex, right? There's mm-hmm. a duplex in your neighborhood. You could buy that duplex based off of what you'd rent the other side. Live in one side, rent out the other yeah. side, and you'd be qualifying based off of what you're renting the duplex out for. What a great opportunity. Yeah, that's amazing. And the other thing we hear a lot is, you know, market's crazy, like interest is super high. Um, refinance. Yes. Right? Like you're not locked into your loan, which is the amazing part. You're not technically locked into your house forever. I mean, you can do a lot of things, but you know, the house is more permanent than the loan. I always tell Mm -hmm. people like, if you look, if you don't like the interest rate now, you're not going to like it if it goes up, but if it goes down, you can refi and get a new loan. Right. Or if you get into these programs, like for example, teacher, doctor programs, things like maybe not doctor. Yeah. Uh, Well, actually maybe. We had a lot of things come out during COVID, and so I'm having a hard time remembering, but, um, you know, it's things like that, that maybe you don't love the terms at first, but we're three, two, one, buy down, you know, just all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the point is, you got options. Um, You got options. Yeah, you've got (laughs) options. Make sure that you contact their local real estate professional. Uh, I know one right here. 
please make sure you contact Kyle. Uh, if you've got any questions about how to qualify for a rental property, I'm more than happy to help you out. And even if we're not able to, to do something right away, we can set to put together a plan uh, yeah. to make sure that we get you there uh, in the in the right amount of time. Yeah, here's the other thing. Like people think they need to pre, like not the official pre-qualified, but they need to like pre-qualify themselves before they come talk to us. I would say talking to us is the first step yep. because then we pre-qualify you to get you ready, yep. right? Because some people, I, I have people all the time come to me, um, go to get them pre-qualified and their credit's not where it needs to be to purchase a house right now that's in their market. So we get together and we work on it sort of like a financial plan a little bit, right? I can't delve into money too much. Um, credit repair, like yep. I get people with the right people to help them do what they want to do. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no matter what, I would say that in every market, um, there is an innovator, an imitator, and an idiot. And you don't want to be the last guy. Just trust me on that. <laughs> um, my name is Corey Martin with Bank of England Mortgage here in Colorado, here in Denver, Colorado. If you have any questions about personal finance uh, or real estate financing, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at Corey Martin on Facebook uh, or Mortgage Consultant 5280 on Instagram. And I'm Kyle Wong with Moxie Colorado. Don't hesitate to reach out. I got a link below at, well, any streaming service that you're using, whether it's YouTube, uh, you're right on Anchor, if you are on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.